Hello and welcome back to Tort Talk. Thank you so much for listening. And you know, if you haven't listened up until now, there are a lot of episodes for you to catch up on. Don't worry, just scroll back in the player. You'll be able to catch up on all the previous episodes that we've done on this show thus far. Now, I am Paul Stadden. I am the person who asks a lot of questions. I stand in for you, the listener. The person that's really important on this show, however, is Terrence Gross of Gross and Schuster. And I am so glad that he's in every single week to talk about law, legal topics, news, information that you need to know. And this week, I think we've got a really interesting topic. Welcome to the show, Terrence. Glad to be here. Well, I'm glad you're here, too, because I I try to keep up on the news as much as I can, but I don't, since I'm not in the news business anymore, it's kind of hard for me to do so. So I'm glad you're here today. I heard that there was this new tort reform law passed, and this was in the Florida legislature in March, right? Correct. Okay, so you're a lawyer, so you're going to be able to help me break this down, I hope. Can you shed some light on what this means for the average Joe like me? Yeah, it's going to take some time, and we'll go in uh, parts. And again, uh, most of our podcasts we try to keep to 12 minutes, and then uh, if the, we'll probably have four segments to this uh, particular subject. But uh, I have to go back in time a little bit because I actually went to school at Florida State University and got to see how the legislature works and so forth, and they usually come to town in March. And they don't do much until April, and then things pass, and then the governor may or may not sign on it, and then eventually uh, it becomes law normally on July 1st following the legislative uh, meeting just to give everybody time to acclimate and get ready for Mm -hmm. the new laws. This uh, tort reform package was pushed forward in the first 10 days of the legislature uh, convening and quickly signed by the governor and became effective immediately which i've never heard of Hmm. and it's taken our system and it's absolutely turned it upside down now many of you may think oh here's another personal injury lawyer whining because somehow the legislature has trimmed his wings and maybe he can't make as much money as possible and truthfully there, there is a little bit of truth to that oh okay there actually is because Obviously, I make my money in this area, and the things they do are to limit cases. So as a byproduct, it would limit attorney's fees. But the person that is most harmed is not the lawyers. It's the little guy that gets involved in a car wreck Hmm. and has medical bills and injuries and pain and suffering, lost wages. And from this day going forward, it's going to be a lot more onerous for the claimant to uh, persevere and win and his lawyer and so forth. And I always felt even before this, I've been a lawyer for 43 years. I've always felt that I was wearing a white hat. I always felt that because of tort reform, I sometimes would have one arm behind my back. And now I'm wondering if, well, if I had one arm behind my back before this, do I have two behind my back? And we're still trying to figure out all the ins and outs, but let me just jump into it and start giving you some examples And then I'm sure you always are good with questions. So one, some of these laws sound very esoteric. Nobody knows about them. And it almost takes a lawyer to fully understand them. But I'll give you a good example. Okay. I began the practice of law in 1979 and early on started doing civil cases. Uh, The no-fault law was passed in 1971. So it was still rather new in 79. Uh, it's still here today, 
And back then there were challenges. So that the, you know, an insurance adjuster would say, we're not paying these chiropractic bills. They're just too high. Or whatever they wanted to challenge and we'd fight them. But if we won, the insurance company would have to pay my attorney's fees and costs. Okay. And after a while, I have to tell you, they gave up. So in the 80s, mm-hmm. I did a lot of, it's called a, a PIP suit. Personal injury protection is no fault. So there were a lot of PIP suits. Not because I was litigious, because I felt they were denying benefits to my clients. You pay your 10000 for no fault, by God, you should get it. And that's the way I felt. And it was just a principal thing. Yes, I hmm. did get paid if I won. Well, from what I understand in reading the excerpts from these statutes, they have now done away with that. Hmm. And I will tell you, I said 1980s because my sons have been practicing with me by and large 10 years. They've never had to file a PIP suit. You know why? Hmm. Because the insurance company's paid. Hmm. You, know, you go to the doctor, you get an MRI, you get a CT scan, and they just pay. And, and it hasn't been an issue. I haven't sued a no-fault carrier for PIP benefits in 20 years. So it was just something that went away. But now, if they take away attorney's fees, how in the world is anybody going to challenge an unfair denial? So you're seeing the chiropractor, some adjuster in Tampa says, you know what? These bills are looking high. We're just not going to pay anymore. <laughs> and, and, and they just do that. Who is going to enforce that? A lawyer can't do it for free. Mm-hmm. And, and the claimant can't sue, doesn't know how to sue and do all that. And I, I fear what's going to happen. It's going to take the no-fault system that has worked very well, where they pay 80% of your bills up to 10000 automatically, take the onus off you, take some of the stress off you. Many people still don't have health insurance. A lot do have health insurance, but like me, have big deductibles. And even with your health insurance, there are limitations. Like they'll say, we don't pay chiropractic, or we only pay six visits a year, or whatever it may be. Uh, So without the attorney fee uh, provision in no fault, uh, I fear that it's going to morph into what has happened to workers' comp, because that's what we see with workers' comp back in the day. The, the injured party in workers' comp uh, could also uh, get uh, fees for their attorney if they won a disputed medical uh, issue. And, and they, t- they took that away for the most part. So anyway, I fear for that. We'll see what happens. But my, my prediction is that the insurance companies will become emboldened and they'll just quit paying. Well, this makes me wonder then what the criteria by which they can get away with that legally would be uh, saying, okay, we're just not going to pay for this anymore. So for example, let's say chiropractic. Would their excuse be just simply it's too expensive. We don't feel like paying it. Or would it be, well, this isn't a proven technique. There are arguments about whether chiropractic care really does anything. So we don't feel like we should pay for this unproven thing. Are they going to look for excuses like that? Or is it going to just be more, eh, it's too expensive. We don't feel like paying it. All of the above. Oh, that's great. <laughs> and, and there's no, and there's no precedent for it. But again, who's going to, there's no gatekeeper now to uh, enforce and make the insurance companies do the right thing. And mm. so all this has been driven by the lobbying of insurance companies because you weren't there in Tallahassee in March. I wasn't. Ooh. The average Joe Q public still has no idea. You're just learning some of these provisions as mm. we go over them. 
today, but that that's 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 a biggie. I, I think it's going to come out and be a lot uh, more draconian than people uh, mm. ever realized. Now, another thing they they tinkered with, um, and I've always liked one of the things I've liked about being a lawyer in Florida is that we've had a four-year statute of limitations. And what a statute of limitations means, Paul, is that we have four years to sort of handle a case, and then if we can't resolve it, then we file suit. And a lot of cases sort of just take their time to morph out. So here's, let me give you a typical case that I see. You're, You're in an accident. You go to the ER. They do CT scans on you, and they say, Paul, nothing's broken. Uh, lay low for a few days. Here's some pain pills for a few days. If you still hurt, follow up with your primary doctor, blah, blah, blah. And and then you do that. And then you go to a chiropractor. And then six months later, somebody orders an MRI. Then they show some herniated disc in your spine that you knew nothing about because the CT scan at the ER doesn't show herniated disc. It shows broken bones. And then all of a sudden, you're getting a referral to a surgeon, and the surgeon goes, I think you may need surgery. Of course, you're scared to death, and you don't want the surgery. I've heard that story so many times. Yeah. So, But I know that eventually a lot of people succumb, given the pain and the deterioration, they succumb to, to surgery. And there's many cases that I hold on to, not because I'm dilatory, but if I think you're a surgical candidate, I'm going to hold and I'm going to wait. And sometimes it's three, three and a half years later, and and but we we didn't get into a lawsuit. One of my dear friends is a um, lawyer in New Orleans, and our practices are very similar. But he's always in court, always in depositions. And I said, "What percent of your cases are in litigation?" He goes, "99, 90 percent, 90 percent." I said, "Hmm, only ten or fifteen percent are, are mine." And we figured out together that Louisiana only had a one-year statute of limitations. He couldn't settle within one year. He has to file suit. So in Florida, we just moved it to two years. From, so two from four. Oh, gosh. Okay. So yeah. even though two years seems like a long time, and if you're just seeing a chiropractor and that's all you do, that's fine. But for those people that are getting uh, injections, and there's yeah. still some people are very actively treating beyond two years, it's hard for me to settle a case if you're actively treating because your bills are still being incurred. And people are, you know, again, most people just just don't jump in the surgery. They're told to have surgery, but they just don't jump into it. I mean, because they're scared of it, rightfully so, especially spinal surgery. Yeah. Because you know you're going to have plates and screws in your spine forever, and that's sort of scary. And and I understand why people would want to catch their breath and wait. So let me just think about it. Let me just try yeah. some other things first. Right. Let me try some injections and, and whatever. And, and and usually they go full circle and they go, okay, I tried everything. It didn't work. Okay, now I'm ready. But that could be three or four years later. Yeah. So I'm thinking about this process because, uh, you know, I've been in a couple of fender benders in my life and I thankfully didn't have any serious injuries, but, you know, the... Uh, the one that I was in as a kid, my mom got whiplash from it, and you know it seems like it's not that big of a deal in the beginning. Like, oh, I just got in an accident, I'm sore, that's just how it's going to be. But over time, as you realize, oh, no, this is actually a bigger deal. So what you're saying is, and if I'm getting this correct, is even if you can prove years later that, no, actually, I realized that this pain that I'm now experiencing is tied to this car accident. Even though I can go to a doctor and say, yes, 
uh, you know, it didn't look that serious at the time. It looks it's serious now because it was neglected. I couldn't do anything about it. I couldn't go back. Sue. I couldn't. There's nothing. I have no recourse. Well, if you go beyond the two years, but what it's really going to do with a lawyer, it's going to force people like me that are not sue happy. Of course, I file lawsuits. Right. But I'm not sue happy. I'm very judicious. Right. right. I'm not Don Quixote. And <laughs> and I would say that it's going to force me from, instead of suing on 10 or 15% of my cases, it's probably going to make me suing 40% of my cases. Uh. And it's going to clog up the system. Mm. And, and it's going to be unintended consequences. The judges are already complaining about the, the, the measure and the amount of lawsuits. And now they're going to triple or quadruple because we've shortened artificially our statute of limitations for no, for no rhyme or reason. Right. But anyway, it uh, looks like we're running out of time again. Darn it. We run out of time in this episode. But hey, we're going to get more uh, talk about tort reform in the next episode. I'm going to find out about any other examples of tort reform that have happened recently. Uh, but you're just going to have to wait for the next episode. Now, if you can't wait that long to hear more tort talk, don't worry. You can go back and listen to previous episodes. We appreciate all of our listeners. And again, if you want to have your say, any suggestions, anything that you want to hear us talk about, well, you can just free, feel free to leave us a comment. You can feel free to message us. We would love to know about it. So, Terrence, how can people get a hold of you? Uh, by telephone, 850-434-3333. But the best way probably is on the web at grossandschuster.com. All right. Thank you so much, Terrence. We'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks.